We'll trust that that uh, tees us up nicely uh, for the book of Acts as you uh, grab your Bibles and uh, get yourself turned there uh, right now. Well, um, I think every one of us here uh, have asked the rather simple question at some point, uh, what's the plan? Right, you asked that question. Uh, of course you have. You've maybe even asked it this morning already, right? You wake up and you're like, all right, we're, we're going to church, but then it kind of dawns on you. Oh yeah, we, uh, we don't have any gas in the car, right? So how are we going to uh, kind of make this work so that we, you know, are we going to make it to church without running out of gas? Do we have to stop? Do we have to adjust our, our schedule? Some of you are smiling. Maybe that was literally your story uh, here this morning. But we, we you know, we want to know the plan with things like those mundane kind of daily tasks, right? But sometimes we want to know them with things like uh, our vacation Right? Ange and I are talking uh, a little bit about this right now and, and, and kind of trying to think through our, our summer vacation. You know, what weeks are we going to take off? Which, which, you know, in which month? And, you know, are we going to go somewhere? Are we going to save money and stay home? Like, what's the plan uh, with that? Uh, you might experience this uh, in your workplace where you've been asking that question. Like, what's the, what's the plan? What's the kind of the vision behind this company, right? You know, where are we going and, and, and how are we getting there? Okay, bottom line, no matter what, is that we uh, like to and really need to know what's going on, right? We, we love to kind of uh, have that understanding. We want to know what, what, what's the schedule today? What's the strategy for this? What is the plan uh, going forward? It helps us kind of just understand the, the circumstance or, or the situation uh, that we find ourselves in, whatever that may be, so that we can, you know, make necessary adjustments so that we can respond or act uh, accordingly. Now, when you become uh, a Christian, all right, and, you know, you, you, you find a local church and for you that's here and, you know, you, you get yourself involved and you get serving and you're growing and all of that. You realize and, and you're reminded at certain points along the way that, that God has a plan, right? God has a plan that he has called you and I uh, to join in on and see through uh, to completion, Okay, well, the book of Acts, love it, the book of Acts is, is where we see really the origins of, of God's great plan for his church, uh, for us, right? For us, it's, it's in Acts that we see uh, what a church uh, is, right? You heard the word uh, ecclesiology before, it's the, it's the study of the church, right? What, what the church is uh, to be like, what what the purpose of the church is. How, how do we go about uh, all of this? And, and it's in this first chapter here, in the first 11 verses, that, that God gives us this, this overarching view, if you will, of, of what that plan is. All right, He gives us the, the, the broad strokes, kind of a snapshot of what he has in store uh, for his church. And so today begins what will uh, be a, a multi-year project for us as we go through the book of Acts uh, verse by verse. Now you might be like, well, multi-year, that sounds intense. Well, on one hand, I mean, the book of Acts is long, right? It's 28 chapters. We're going to go through uh, verse by verse. It's going to be around 70 uh, messages or so. And so that, as you can imagine, that takes time, right? But on top of that, you know, we're going to take breaks 
uh, from time to time as well. We've got Easter coming up. We're going to take four weeks uh, to go into that. We'll do a different summer series. We've got some other series that we'll kind of plug in. And so we'll, we'll kind of leave it and come back to it. We're going to work uh, our way uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, so excited about this. I mean, we just came through uh, what are the, you know, the six defining characteristics or distinctives uh, our church is committed to and about. And, and through Acts, uh, we're going to see what happens as the very first churches devoted themselves to these uh, very things, these same things. And we're going to look at this so that by God's grace, uh, you and I, all of us together, can unify and, and really galvanize around uh, the plan that God has for us. And so before we uh, get too much further here, I just want to give this time over to the Lord and invite him to do a mighty work through this amazing uh, book in the New Testament. So why don't you join me as we give this to the Lord. Christ, we, we pray uh, to you, the great God and uh, King over all, uh, Lord, and ask you to move in our church. Lord, we just sang about how we long uh, for revival, Lord. We, we long to see you do a work in Newmarket and in this surrounding area, Lord. And, and as John even mentioned and led us, Lord, it begins with us, Lord. It begins with you doing a work in our hearts, uh, us being uh, receptive to this and humble and broken and, and repentant. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do whatever it takes. God, I pray that you would break down uh, strongholds in our hearts, God, I pray that you would uh, just show us how worthless our idols are that we worship, Lord. We all have idols of the heart, things that, that we love more than we should, that we, that we overlove, that we love more than you. They have taken uh, your spot on the throne of our hearts. And so, God, I pray that as we look at what your plan is for each of us, uh, your plan for the church, Lord, I pray that as as we unpack this a little bit here this morning and certainly over the course of this series, Father, I pray uh, that you uh, would be glorified. I pray that you would transform. I pray that you would save. Lord, I pray that you would heal. Lord, we pray uh, that you would do all of these things in the name, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So God has a plan for his church. Again, we're talking like high level view here today, okay? But I think that's, that's, that's very important for us. We're gonna get plenty of time to really mine down into the details of all of these things over the next months and all of that. But I think it's really good for us to just kind of take a simple look at the, the basics, the foundations, the, the building blocks of this today. And I just wanna kind of encourage you here to, to, to not miss how all of what we're gonna talk about here today is, is directly applicable to each one of us. Okay, because God's plan for you and I as, as individuals is synonymous with his plan uh, for the church. Because if you think about it, we are the church, right? People are the church. I think we get very caught up in with, you know, church is the building, right? Church are, you know, the four walls that we meet in right now. And, and there's a sense where, yeah, that's a church building, but the people are the church. And so uh, it's very important for us that we understand what is God's plan for all of this? Right, what is his plan? Well, the first step here today, three, three things. First thing is get saved through Christ. 
Okay, that's the first step in the plan. And we see this as we flesh out verse one a bit here in Acts chapter one. Look at what he says. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now you might be thinking like, well, who, who's he? Who's the guy that wrote this? Who's speaking here? Well, the author of this is, is Luke. Okay, now Luke was... Uh, he was a doctor, okay? He was a doctor. He was, uh, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul on, on some of his uh, missionary journeys. Uh, Luke is considered a, a historian, okay? So he gives us a, a record of uh, the early days of, of the church. And I understand, though, that this is a, this is a selective history. So he by, by no means goes through every single story of every single thing that ever happened as the church uh, was getting its, uh, its start. It's, it's not that. It's selective. Uh, not every detail. But you better believe that uh, there is detail in this. Okay, uh, Luke uh, was a doctor, of course. And we would probably hope that our doctors would be kind of detail-oriented guys. Right? And so that was him, and he gives us uh, plenty uh, to go here on as we look at the various stories throughout uh, this book. And then obviously he's writing to a man named uh, Theophilus. A Theophilus uh, literally means lover of God. And Theophilus is a man, I'll be honest with you, we know like nothing about this guy. Right? We, we really don't. Some people have kind of speculated, well, maybe he was a wealthy Christian and, and, and financed uh, Luke and, and his trips and, and asked for a, uh, you know, a record of, of his, uh, his journeys and his stories. Uh, I guess that's possible. But, um, but when Luke mentions uh, the first book there, you see that in verse one that he wrote, he's actually referring to the gospel of Luke. Okay, so that Luke, same Luke, okay? And in the gospel of Luke, in chapter one, verse three, he, he writes to the most excellent Theophilus. All right, so he's writing to the same guy. And so really, I think this is helpful for us to think about it this way. You can think of the gospel of Luke, okay, and, and the book of Acts as kind of one total volume broken down into two kind of mini, if you will, maybe those aren't the right words, but mini volumes, Okay, so in the first book, the first volume, which is Luke's gospel, uh, he says, okay, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, we see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Now just think about that. Okay, if he's referring to his first book, if he's referring to the gospel of Luke, what is the gospel of Luke really all about? If you were to boil it right down, I mean, even just generally, right, it's about it's about an account of the life and, and, and the ministry, uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And, and this is really crucial, obviously, how salvation is found in his name. Okay, so, so right out of the gate here in, in Acts, as, as Luke begins to just kind of lay that groundwork for us that, that is God's plan for his church, he, he's, he's letting us know here that a massive part of this plan, God's heart for, for all people, is that we would get saved through Christ. 
Okay, so Luke's like Theophilus, like in the first book that I wrote you, okay, you know this, I told you about all the incredible things uh, that Jesus did, all, all the things that, that he taught, how, how he is the, you know, the fulfillment of, of God's century-old promises to, to send a Messiah, uh, to send a Savior, and he's like, I, I detailed in that first volume how, how Jesus lived a sinless life. And yet he was killed, right? Killed by sinners for sinners. He's like, in that first volume, I, I, I elaborated on, on how he rose again bodily on the third day, right? right? Defeating the grave, crushing sin, crushing death, and how, how salvation uh, that he earned paid our sin debt and brings us forgiveness, right? Now, now does Luke elaborate on all of that here in, in verse 1? No, no, he doesn't, right? He, he doesn't, but, but he certainly implies it, right? He implies that the foundations of, of God's plan for his church, as he's about to expand on in his second book, is salvation, right? That, that's the foundation of it, salvation for, for broken and, and, and lost people, that, that you and I, we're, we're those broken and lost people, right? That we would turn away from our sin, that we, would, that we would confess our rebellion against God and embrace Christ as Lord. Now, when you Think about God's plan for your life. When you think about his plan for the global church or, or our church, it really starts here, right? Get saved, right? That, that, that's it. And so, so, so just let me ask you the question. I, I, I could breeze by this, but I, but I don't want to, and, and I can't. I think the scriptures really beg the question here. Have you done this? Have you gotten saved? Have you given your heart, surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Are you, are you sure? Are you, are you confident that you are, in fact, a Christ follower? Are you sure about that? Now know that, that you can be, right? Know that you, you should be confident in your salvation. And, and you and I, we will be confident in our salvation when we see, when we see what? Well, when we, see, when we see fruit in our lives, right? When we see evidence that God has, in fact, saved us and, and transformed us. And so as you just kind of think about your own life and your, your own salvation, I mean, where are you at with that, right? Do you see fruit in your life? Do you see evidence that, that the Lord is at work in you, right? Can, can I just challenge you to, to, to really process that? Right? And maybe even to directly, not to let other people off the hook, but even directly at, at some of our young people, our, our, our students, our, our, our young adults. Do you see evidence that you are in fact a follower of Jesus? Because right? I think sometimes it's, it's very easy for us to think that, that getting saved is, is kind of just about you know, saying some magic words. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll say these, these words as you know, outlined here and then, okay, I, I, I've kind of done my part. I've got my, my fire you know, insurance, if you will. I, I will escape hell. I, I've said all of those words and now I can just kind of live life however I want. Or is, is that you? Does that, does that sum up kind of your approach and your whole attitude towards life? Yeah, I said some words, but, 
But if you're honest, you're not really, really living for the Lord. You're not being transformed from, from the inside out. Are you actually saved? Hey, if not, and maybe you're feeling some conviction about that, or, or, or if you're kind of searching this whole thing out, and you're kind of wondering, and that's part of why you're here and you're exploring and, and, and trying to know or, or, or someone has like dragged you by the collar to church today, right? And, and, you're, and you're here and you're hearing this uh, for the first uh, time. Allow me to, to, to urge you to, to surrender to Christ, to get saved. Listen, there is nothing, nothing more important than this decision, right? That, that's not hyperbole. Right? That, that, that's no exaggeration whatsoever. I remember as, a, as an eight-year-old kid giving my life to the Lord and getting saved at church. I remember my dad, when, on, on the car ride home, I may have shared this with you before, but he just kinda, I, I told him about this and, and he paused and he kind of, you know, he had this moment where he was like, you know, this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. I remember as an eight-year-old being like, okay. And over time, I came to see that uh, he was right. And so listen, maybe you're sitting here and, and you're kind of wondering and you're thinking and, and, and you're, you're interested and you sense maybe the, the Lord even drawing you and he's, he's kind of tugging on your heart and you're feeling even uncomfortable in all of this. And you're wondering, all right, what is the process here? Like, like, like how do I uh, get saved as, as you say it, pastor? Like, 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 what do I do here? What's my responsibility or response to the things that I have heard? Well, I really want to get this up on the screen for us. Have you ever heard of the Romans Road before? It's a very uh, common little pathway that uh, comes right out of the book of Romans, and that's why it is called this, that I think really just kind of really well defines the process of salvation and things that, that we need to understand and believe in our hearts and act upon here. And so let's, let's look at this first thing here, Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 23. We have to understand this, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you're looking at, at, at maybe becoming a Christian and you're considering all of these things, it starts with understanding this. It starts with knowing that at the end of the day, you're not a good person. Hey, Pastor, that's kind of harsh. Really? You're going to say that? You don't even know me, man. Well, the, the scriptures say that, that no one is good. We all fall short of God's glory. We're, 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 we're all broken deep down at our very core. We are, we are warped by sin. Another place in Romans says that no one is righteous, no, not one. Right? We have all sinned. Every single person has, has sinned against God. We fall short of his glory, his excellence, his perfection. We are not on the same level as God whatsoever. We have sinned against him. And let me tell you, that is trouble. That is bad news. But it all kind of leads us to the second part of the Romans road here. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin uh, is death. Yeah, I was talking about this uh, with my son just the other day. Now, you know what this means? The wages of sin is death. It means, what, what's a wage? Uh, a wage is like a paycheck, right? A paycheck that you, that you earn uh, when you do a job for an employer. And so this is saying the, the wage, the paycheck that you earn for sinning, it's death. It's death. And, and, and much worse than, than physical death, which is bad enough. It's actually spiritual death. When you and I sin, 
Uh, it, it causes spiritual death in you and I, and, and that means separation from a holy and righteous and just God. When you and I sin, it, it, it creates this gap between us and the God who made us, and we cannot cross that gap. We are not good enough. We cannot behave enough. We are, there, there's nothing in us that is good enough to bridge that gap. But look at the second part of that verse. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You might be thinking, well, okay, I've got this gap and, and, and I've, been, I've been separated from, from God and, 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 and my sin has earned me death. Like, how, how do I earn this back with God? How, how do I get back into his good graces and his good books? Well, we see here that his salvation is, 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 is a gift. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can behave your way into. It's, it's, it's a gift of God. How amazing is that? Right, that the Lord just bestows this upon us, eternal life, where we can avoid the, the horrors of hell and live with, with God forever in eternity in heaven. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This all leads to the next step in the Romans road, Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because you might be thinking, well, I, I need to, you know, I, I'm kind of bad and, and, you know, I kind of recognize that and I, and I see that I've got sin in my life. I guess I got to kind of pretty myself up a little bit here before I come to church, before the Lord is going to accept me uh, into his family. The answer to that is wrong. You do not do that. See how there, how God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, right, on our worst day ever, the, 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 the most egregious sin that, that's hiding in your heart, the most egregious sin that you have, have done, God loved you on that day. He showed his love to us that while we were still sinners, we haven't done anything good, right? While we were still sinners, he died for us. That's how he showed his love. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And in that moment, God the Father punished him. He poured out his wrath for all of your sin, for all of my sin, and he punished Jesus so that you and I could receive the free gift of eternal life and not go punished. How amazing is that? While we were still sinners, God died for us. Let's look at the fourth step here in the Romans road. This is Romans 10, 9, and 10. And here's our response here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, this is the heart thing. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead three days later, what does it say? You will be saved, right? There's the promise. And it says, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. That word justified is incredible. It means declared righteous, right? You don't earn that. You can't make yourself righteous. God just declares you that now. When you trust in Jesus Christ by faith, right? For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses. That word confesses there means to, to confirm what has taken place in the heart, right? I love that. When you do that, you are saved. What an amazing reality. That is our response. Do you believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you? Do you believe that Jesus did everything that it took to secure your salvation? You can't add to that. Not at all. He did it all. We do nothing. We merely believe and receive, which leads us here to the last step, the final step of the Romans road from chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
everyone. Now, I think for the vast majority, well, really all of us, we have so much pride, right, that, that it's hard for us to face the facts of our depravity. It's really hard for us to do that. And we like to think of ourselves as better, better than we really are. But I can only imagine that there are some people right now, and, and you're kind of at the other end of the spectrum right now. And you're like, man, I, I know that I'm, that I'm broken. I know that I'm sinful. In fact, I know it way worse than you do, Pastor. And I'm so far gone that there is no way that the Lord would ever save me. Again, I got to toss up a, a wrong for that. Incorrect. Look what it says. Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You are not so far gone that the Lord cannot rescue you, right? All of us, we're all on the same level when we sin. We are all lost. We are all broken. It doesn't matter how, how far your sin took you. We're all on the same page, but the Lord saves. So question, church, are you saved? Are you saved? Have you responded to these truths? If not, will you do that right now? Do that right now in your seat. Confess your sin. Admit where you're at. Admit your neediness and believe that the Lord did what it took to save you. Trust in his name. Now, as we continue on here through Acts 1, there's actually... Uh, even more that, that Luke implies here in the very first verse alone, right? When he, when he says there, look at it again. When he says in the first book, uh, right, it's about what Jesus began to do. It's, it's an indication that, that his second book, the second book of Acts now, is all about what Jesus, what? Continues to do. Right? What he continues to do in his church, even after his ascension, which we'll get into here in just a moment. Right? And what he continues to do in the life of his church will be through his Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot about his Holy Spirit, even in the verses that we're going to look at uh, here today. But we're going to do a deeper dive into all of that, especially in chapter 2. There's a lot of Holy Spirit discussion that we're going to have and look into what that is all about. But the Holy Spirit here uh, will be sent to us, uh, the church, believers, as a gift, right? Another gift, as our, as our helper, okay, for the building up and and in the maturing of believers everywhere, God gives us the gift of his spirit. And then, of course, the spirit is instrumental in the explosion of uh, and the expansion of the global church uh, all across the world. Okay, so this really gets into uh, what's next in God's plan uh, for his church. First, of course, that foundational step that we get saved through Christ. The second step here is that we get discipled in Christ. Okay, so as Luke uh, writes, again, to Theophilus here, okay, he reminds him, he, he points to what Jesus has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. Remember, that was in his, you know, first book. Now, verse 2, until the day... When he was taken up, okay, again, that's, that's the ascension. We see a lot of that. Luke wrote about that in Luke uh, chapter 24, and he's going to get to it here even in a second in, in, in Acts 1. Okay, so until the day that he was taken up, after he, had been, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, now, an extremely uh, important 
uh, theme okay, that develops all through uh, the book of Acts is that as Christ was guided by uh, the Holy Spirit, okay, Christians are likewise uh, guided uh, by the same Spirit, right? As we are discipled, right? As we grow in Christ. And of course, as we engage in the mission, which again, he'll expand on here in a second, we'll get to it. But for now, verse three, take a look. It says, he, this is Jesus, he presented himself alive to them, that's the disciples, after his suffering. Okay, so what, what's the suffering specifically talking about? It's his death, right? So he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Remember, Luke is a, is, is a detailed guy and, and he was very interested in, in showing proof of the resurrection in his gospel, Okay, appearing, it says, to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, now Luke himself, again, records some of these appearances and some of these proofs uh, in his gospel account. Again, that's in Luke chapter 24. And there we see, and you might remember this, how, how Jesus uh, would appear. This is after his death, after his resurrection. Remember, he would just kind of appear out of thin air uh, to, his, uh, to his disciples, Right, you remember that? And, and maybe you remember that one occasion on the road to uh, Emmaus, right? And they were talking and they were talking about some of the things that they have, they have seen and, and, and what was happening uh, in Jerusalem at this time. And he, he shows up to them. And remember, they didn't recognize him at the time. Their, their eyes were kept from, from uh, realizing who he was. And he's speaking to them and asking them about what they're talking about. And then in verse 27 there, this is Luke 24 again, it says, the beginning with Moses and all the prophets... Okay, so he's referring to the, to the Old Testament, okay, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He, this, is, this is incredible. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Right, so as he's walking along with the disciples on this road, he's starting to fill in the gaps for them. You see that? He's, he's teaching them. He's, he's instructing them. This is their discipleship. Right? They're discipling, he's discipling them about how, how the entire Old Testament, really all of it, points to him. Right? How, how he would come and he would save his people from their sin. Okay, and then check this out. We're going to have this on the screen. This is from Luke 24 as well, starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms, okay, again, the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Okay, then look at this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What a verse. You need to underline that in your Bible church. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Okay, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Again, from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... Back to Acts 1 here, we see Luke refer to this, this 40-day time period, right? After he rose from the grave and before he ascended, just, just over uh, a month, where the, the apostles, they had these, these, these moments like this with, with Jesus, where he prepared them for their upcoming kingdom work. 
right? He spoke to them about all the things concerning the kingdom of God. He explained what, what they hadn't uh, yet understood, right? Many of the truths that, it, that he had taught them, they'd just kind of gone over their head. Remember we were in the book of Mark not too long ago and we saw that Jesus would teach them and they'd be like, huh? like they didn't get it. Right? And then their, their, their minds weren't opened yet. And, and so he was doing that. He was opening their minds during this 40-day period. Again, this was their discipleship. Right? They were growing in, in knowledge and, and, and understanding and passion right? for, for all that, that God had done and all that he had in store for them. Right? I, I once heard somebody, I can't even remember who it was, refer to this, this time period that the disciples had with Jesus as, as Jesus' seminary. Right? I, I kind of like that. Probably way better than, than any seminary, any MDiv, any, any demon that you could ever get in any earthly seminary. Just, I mean, imagine what that would have been like. Right, just, just walking with the Lord and, and all of a sudden he shows up kind of like out of thin air and, and, he, and he's speaking to them and they're seeing him alive and, and, and he's giving them, them comprehension right? as, as he fills in those, those missing puzzle pieces in their understanding up to that point. I mean, do you ever, it's so healthy. Do you, do you ever, do you ever kind of like put yourself at the scene when you read the Bible? Can I encourage you to do that as you read? Acts is, is a wonderful book to be able to do that. And you try to imagine that the sights and the sounds and, and the smells and, and, and how, would, how would this have struck me hearing this uh, for the first time? I think sometimes we've read, you know, these verses so many times that, we, that we've, they've kind of lost the impact. I think that's on us because we don't, we don't do a deep enough job of, of kind of thinking on these things and marveling in these things and meditating on the scriptures and praising the Lord for them and for him and what he's done. Just imagine the spiritual growth that, that they would have gone through as they spent time with Christ, just being intentionally discipled by him. Amazing. But listen, the, the truly incredible thing about that is that in this case, we don't even really have to wonder what their, what their thought process was with all of this, right? Because there's a verse in Luke 24 that, that tells us straight up what they were thinking, right? They have this moment as Jesus is teaching where they, where they, they turn to each other and they, they marvel and they say, did not our hearts burn within us, right? This is verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, right? Their hearts burned, right? The, the language of that's pretty obvious. It means that their hearts were like set on fire. They were fired up, right? It speaks to that, that, that fiery passion in their souls as, as Christ taught them, as he, as he discipled them, right? So, so far beyond head knowledge that he was giving them. So far beyond that. This, this wasn't some kind of, you know, Jesus meeting with them to, to give them some information dump so that they became smarter. That, that, that's, that's not what he was going for. No, this is, this is Christ capturing them, right? Capturing their, their, their hearts, their affections, their, their, their zeal, right? In these moments, he's, he's totally reorienting their entire life's purpose, right? Their, their drive, their, their direction by, by becoming the very object of their heart's desire. That's what's happening in these moments. And listen, this is what effective discipleship is. Okay, this is what effective discipleship accomplishes. 
So again, let me ask you another question here. You probably know where I'm going with this. Would you describe your own discipleship this way? Would you? Would you say that your heart is burning within because of your time spent with Christ? Would you say that when you, you know, the word of God is opened before you and, and you, know, you have times of prayer and you have times where you open up this book and you study that, that your heart is, is burning with, with zeal and passion for the Lord? Would you say that's you? Or, or is it kind of going in a different direction? Do you find yourself bored? Right? Do you find yourself kind of, kind of jaded? Have you kind of justified to yourself that, well, you know, that was when I was a younger Christian, so full of youthful zeal. Now I'm, now I'm mature. And, and, and true Canadians are reserved, right? And dignified. And all of it is just a sham. And all of it really is just our hearts being hard. And our hearts are not full of zeal. And maybe our discipleship is, is lacking. And we're not growing in Christ the way we ought to be. Think about it. The, when we get saved and the more that we grow, the more zeal we should have. The more fire and passion we should have for the Lord. The more committed to God's mission we should be. Right? I think in North America, we get kind of settled into you know, retirement mode. When it comes, and it's spiritually. I've kind of done my time. I've served and now I'm just going to kind of kick my feet up and, and kind of coast off into the sunset spiritually. No room for that in the scriptures. I don't see that anywhere. Like people served hard until the end. They were, they were serious about their own discipleship. Now, if you find that you're, you know, your zeal is, is just not there and I'm not growing and I'm not passionate, it's not like these disciples were as they were, as Jesus met with them and discipled them, I think the first question that we need to be asking ourselves is what's getting in the way, right? What is it? What sin, what, what idolatry has captured my heart's affection, that, that desire and that zeal, right? Everyone worships something or someone. You know that? We've been created to worship. The question is, who is it or what is it? Do you worship the Lord? Are you, are you fiery? Are you passionate about that? Or are you passionate about, about other things? Are you passionate more about sports? That leaf loss last night, that one hurt my idol of sports. Are you passionate about electronics and getting the next new phone? How lame are we that we get so caught up in that? Are you passionate about saving money and that is your drive and everything else comes back? And, and in your mind, you want your cake and eat it too. Right? I want to love all of these things and still love Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. We had, like, the main driver of our heart has to be Christ or it will be something else. Right, what is it? What, what's getting in the way? And, and, then, and then really, we need to confess this before the Lord. Right? I love Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Right? It's guard your heart kind of a verse. For from it flow the springs of, of life. When you sense idolatry there and you see that, confess that. Repent before the Lord. And I think a follow-up question to this first one would really be, how, how can I take better ownership over my discipleship? Right? What, what are some things? What's, what kind of steps do I need to take to ensure that I'm getting discipled effectively? Listen, don't, don't blame that on other people. Don't blame your lack of discipleship on someone else. You take ownership over it. Right? Do you need to you know, maybe, maybe develop a better time in God's word? 
Maybe, maybe you skip a lot of that. Maybe, maybe you don't really read it at all. Well, don't, don't be surprised then if you're not growing in, in zeal for him. Maybe your prayer life is lacking. Maybe, maybe you need a, a mentor. Maybe you need to get more invested in, in community in our church and, and rubbing shoulders with other believers who are, who are struggling like you are and pray for each other and, and band together and, and, and seek the Lord in faith and cry out for his power and his strength in your life. Do you need more of this? What steps do you need to take to ensure that you are getting discipled more effectively? God has a plan for his church. It's get saved, it's get discipled, and then it's last thing here, get on mission. Get on mission for Christ. Right, that right there, those three things that you see, that's the sequence of events in the lives of the disciples, in in the life of the church, in the book of Acts. And of course, it's the exact same sequence uh, for us today. Right, repent and get saved. Grow as a disciple of Jesus all so that we can become more effective at fulfilling God's mission, right? And that mission is really calling others into that exact same sequence that we're in so that this whole thing just, just multiplies and, and grows, right? Where, where you and I, we're, we're urging believer, unbelievers to, to get saved, Right? We're urging them to, to be discipled. We're, we're urging them to, to join the mission and, and, and grab a hammer and start swinging. Let's, let's see the Lord build this uh, together uh, by his grace and, and in his spirit. Right? This is how the gospel is, is spread across the planet. Right? This was, was God's plan uh, for the early church, and it's the plan he has for us today, and it will be tomorrow until the day that he returns. And we see the, the mission portion of this really start here in, in verse 4. Take a look, Acts 1, right? And, and, and while staying with them, this is Jesus again, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, listen, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is like, hang, on, hang tight here. Hey, be patient. Just wait, the Holy Spirit is coming. Everything's gonna change after that point. Now verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't know about you, but I find that question so encouraging. <laughs> right? Because you see here that, that even after the road to Emmaus, even after this 40 days of Jesus' seminary, right, that they still didn't quite get it. Right? They were still thinking that, that the kingdom of God had, you know, had, had, was mostly to do with, with God reestablishing Israel as, as the political power where, where all surrounding nations would cower in fear. And so they're asking like, now? Are you ready? Is it now going to happen, Lord? And here's his response. He said to them, hey, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, so when exactly Jesus will return? It's not for us to know. Every once in a while, you'll, you'll see you know, a story online where some clown is like, eh, Jesus is going to you know, return in the year 20, whatever, and it's going to be on this date. Like, just, just flush that email when you see that, right? We don't know. The scriptures say we don't know. It's not for us to know. Anyways, verse 8, but you will receive power, he says 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now here's the mission, okay? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you were just with us a couple of weeks ago, we actually looked at this verse, right? We were in our, our, our six distinctives series and looking at and talking about church planting. And we spent a lot of time on this. And so I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this now, but, but, but the basic idea here is Jesus is telling them, listen, you're gonna be my witnesses, my ambassadors. It's gonna start here in Jerusalem. This is like base camp. Right? We're going to start, we're going to proclaim the gospel here, and then you're going to go out from there to the neighboring regions. Right? He says Judea and Samaria, okay? and then to the ends of the earth. Beyond that, even across the globe. And so we talked about, just a couple weeks ago, how, how Jerusalem, what, what's our Jerusalem? New market. Right? I'm from Mount Albert. Some of you are from Keswick. Some of you are from Richmond Hill. Like that, that's our Jerusalem. Like this, this area. Okay, the, the Judah and Samaria, that's like, you know, Toronto, that's, you know, Windsor, that's maybe Ontario, if you will, kind of the surrounding areas. And then, of course, the ends of the earth uh, are just that. Okay, this is, this is Christ's plan. Like, you're going to go out in my power, and this world is going to be uh, transformed. Okay, now verse 9, here's the ascension. Remember I said we were going to get to it? It says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on... He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, I love this verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, uh, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Okay, who are these two guys? Any ideas? Angels, right? Angels. This is how the Bible describes uh, angels and what they look like. So these two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, uh, why do you stand looking into heaven? Right? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so these, these angels are there. I mean, what a, what a gift of grace that these angels were to these guys. And they just said, guys, don't worry. Jesus is, Jesus is coming back. Okay, you think about the reassurance that that would have been to them. What, what a wild moment as Jesus is literally ascending you know, in a cloud to heaven. You imagine, again, imagine being there. You're like, I didn't really see that coming. Right? I, maybe I should have, but, but I didn't. And again, the fact that they're just gazing up there suggests that, that they didn't want to leave. Right? There would have been some sadness, I'm sure, in this moment. I can totally, totally understand that. But the angels here, they, 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 they just kind of like snap them back to the present, right? back to reality here and the mission that lays in front of them. And they're like, hey, he, he's going to return. Don't worry, that's a promise. But there is a lot to do until he does. So let's get ready, right? The Holy Spirit is coming and, and let's get going. Listen, do you, do you share that same sense of, of urgency that you see here in the text? Right? Like, would we be... You know, it wouldn't be that surprising if, if these angels showed up like several days later. It gives us some time to process this, right? Just kind of absorb what they've just heard and what they've just seen. No, they're like right there at the scene. They're like, we're, we're going to get going now. We're going for this. Like, do you have that urgency in you about our God-given mission? Are, are, are you fired up about this? We're just so passionate. We're so, we're so courageous. We're, 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 we're determined and, and resilient witnesses of Christ to a world that is just 
just so far gone, right? Do you have that? Listen, if you're sitting here today and church and the mission and all of it has just become something that you're, you know, merely dipping your toe into, right? You're here and, and, and maybe you're here regularly, but, but man, you know that you're as fringe as it gets, right? And you're on the outside, right? If that's you, or, or if, you're, if you're just burned out on serving, right? And you're just, you're, you're tired and maybe you're even a little bit bitter towards other people you don't feel are serving like you are or wish that more people would jump on board the team that you're on. Maybe you're, you're just cold towards or, 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 or or unengaged from your, from your neighbors, from, from those who need Christ, and you honestly can't even think of the last time that you even considered sharing the gospel with them. Maybe for you, you're, you're, kind, of, you're kind of walking wounded, you know, and you're, you're hurting from uh, what was a painful church experience in the past, and, and maybe that's kind of soured you, and you're like, no way that I'm getting involved. I'll, I'll be here, I'll look the part, I'll, I'll do a bit, I'll even give money, but... I'm not actually getting involved. I'm not opening up to anybody. I'm not doing that again. Maybe for you, you're just, you're too fearful. I see what the Lord is calling me to, but I'm freaked out here, right? And and it's like panic mode because you're you're, you're kind of taking a look at at, at the culture that we're called to to walk into. And and you're like, man, there's there's a lot of cost involved in this. It's good. It's good to count the cost. But you're looking at that and the fear is, is holding you back. Listen, regardless of what your, your reason, I mean, sometimes these are even just excuses, whatever it is that, that's putting the brakes on, on, on the mission involvement that, that God has for you and, 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 and has for our church, can I again encourage you or, 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 or even implore you uh, to something here? You ready for this? Be with Jesus this week. Be with Jesus this week. You may be thinking, wait a second, that's not really what I was expecting you to say. That, that even sounds a little bit general or, or vague. I, I thought you were going to be like, man, join the setup team. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say next. <laughs> now, be with Jesus this week. Okay, I'm not trying to tell, sound too simplistic, but, but if you think about it, it, it really is simple. Okay, and we see this in Acts chapter 4. And I'm not trying to you know, steal the thunder of what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. But man, the, the, the Holy Spirit comes in power in, in Acts 2. And, and we see everything just like changes. Right? And Peter and John and the other apostles, they are like fired up now. And the Spirit is moving. And, and all of a sudden they're given this, this courage. And they're just, they're fierce. And they're sharing the gospel. And, it, and it's bold. And they're talking to the very people who are responsible for crucifying Christ. And like, this Jesus whom you crucified. Right? And they're going after that. And the Spirit's moving. And those people are cut to the heart, it says. And they repent. And then, of course, news of this gets out that the disciples are doing this. And the religious leaders and you know, the, the Sadducees and, and all of those guys, it says that they were, I love this, they were greatly annoyed. What a, what a great verse. They were annoyed by this. And, and, and what the apostles uh, were doing here. And so they, 
They actually arrest Peter and John and they keep them overnight and they, they threaten them and they tell them, no, don't do this anymore or worse things are gonna happen to you. And, and they in boldness, they're just like, we, we can't help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. Like you, you guys do whatever you want, put whatever restrictions you want on us, guess what? It's not stopping us. And then the amazing verse here, and this is Acts 4, verse 13. This is the response of the Sadducees and the religious council. It says, when they, when they saw the boldness okay, of, of Peter and John, okay, and, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Okay, these were like regular Joe Blows. Okay, think about what were Peter and John before they, before they became apostles? Fishermen, right? Why were they fishermen? Well, because they weren't academic elites. Academic elites moved on to, to bigger and greater things in that day. The ones who kind of, you know, didn't quite make it, they just, they did a trade. And I'm not disparaging trades, but this is what they did. They, they weren't the kind of guys naturally who would go toe-to-toe with religious leaders. They, they weren't those guys uh, at all. Right? They were un- uneducated, common men. When they saw this, it says they were astonished and they recognized, here it is, that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. These, these men and, and many women with them went all in on, on the mission for Christ simply because they had spent time with the Lord and they were transformed by that experience. That's why I urge you, spend time with Christ this week. Right when my heart's not really in the right place, and I'm kind of overwhelmed by all the things that need to get right in my life before I can be, no, no, just, just spend time with the Lord. Right, spend time with him. I think honestly, church, it's just so easy for, for us to, to kind of stall out at, at any point along the way in, in, this, in this, this plan that God has for his church, right? The, the, these, these three steps, can we just throw those back up there on the screen? Right? Maybe, the, maybe the gospel has been, has been shared with you over and over again. You've heard it many times, but you're, you're resisting that. You're, you're resisting, that, uh, resisting that, self, uh, that surrender. You know the Lord is pressing you like, hey, man, turn to me. And, and you, you don't do it. I, I want to do my thing. I want to do, do it my way. And you're stalled out there. Or perhaps you've been saved and, and maybe it's been for ages even, but, but you've hit a wall in your discipleship. You're not really growing, at least not at the rate that you should be, right? You should be a spiritual giant pouring into all kinds of people and being used powerfully and that you're still like a spiritual infant. Your discipleship has stalled out or perhaps you've embraced the idea of growing personally as a disciple, but it's all become like way too individualistic, which again is such a North American thing, right? It's just, it's just about me and the Lord, that's it. Right? And we don't think about, like, no, this is, I'm to be used here. The Lord, the Lord has a mission for me in the lives of, of other people. It's be, and, and so for us, our discipleship, it's happening, but it's become detached from, from community. The mission to be a witness. Well, listen, no matter what stage you might be stalled out in, again, that solution, be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. So I want to make it real simple. Spend time with him this week. Daily. Don't, don't skip days. Resist that urge to be self-sufficient. Get into God's word this week. 
Maybe you've never established a, a proper pattern or, or life's been kind of crazy and you've just kind of got out, got out of that and you're in a different rut now. Just commit to the Lord. I'm going to read this week. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to engage you, Lord, in prayer this week. I've got some concerns that I've been trying to just manage on my own and, and some fears and some worries and maybe some idols that are you know, really kind of screaming at you right now to bow down to them and spend time with Jesus. It's amazing how he will begin to work in you in kind of whatever way is necessary to get your heart on track and in sync with the plan that he has for his church.